Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Hollywood and Total Podcast has every Friday with engaging interviews, the latest headlines, and a recommendation or two to make the most of your leisure time. As always, you can find the show notes at hollywoodintoto.com. This week, we're talking with Kyle Smith. He's the film critic with the New York Post. If you don't know Kyle's work, you're missing some of the best movie reviews anywhere. He's unabashedly right of center, but he's also brutal when he has to be. Before we play my chat with Kyle, I wanted to address something that's been uh, obviously on mind and everyone else's mind these days. It's the election. It's the hangover. And more importantly for me, at least this podcast, it's Hollywood's reaction to the election of Donald Trump. Yes, he will be president soon enough. And I much to say, as much as I've been observing the industry, I am shocked at the reaction. Not shocked that Hollywood was against him. Not shocked that Hollywood really wanted to be with her, to be with Hillary Clinton and make her the first female president. But this reaction, this overreaction is unbelievable. And I want to talk a little bit about why. Now, again, you know the reaction was coming, but my goodness, Hollywood entertainers must realize that half the country supported Trump or didn't want Hillary Clinton. That's simply a fact. And this this elongated mourning period we're undergoing is absurd. And it's absurd for a few reasons. One, obviously, Celebrities are out of touch with a good swath of America. There are people who like Donald Trump. There are people who want him to drain the swamp, even if that's a cliche and maybe nothing of the sort will happen. There are other people who just were sick of the system, think it's broken, and wanted to shake things up. And nothing said that more than electing Donald Trump. So for all those reasons, celebrities need to understand that there is not just a simple reason, an X or Y, that Hillary is right and Donald is wrong, and that's the way it ends. Now, moving forward, I don't know what happens. I feel like this kind of anger, this resentment, this this hangover period will continue, frankly, and I think it's really going to hurt Hollywood where it counts the bottom line. Here's the bottom line here. What's going on next? People are going to be angry, getting angrier, and being upset at what these Hollywood celebrities are doing. They need to calm down and start doing their job, entertaining. If I see one more headline or one more snippet from Seth Meyers, it sounds more like a uh, political science lecture than an actual comedic performance. I'm going to go crazy. What is he doing? He has to know he's hurting his brand. He has to know that he's chasing people away at a time where the competition for late night viewers is as stiff as ever. So I just don't get it. I, I mean, there's got to be sort of a uh, an understanding that there's a whole audience out there that doesn't either care about your politics or wants to move away from your politics or, hey, doesn't agree with your politics. Now, obviously, Johnny Carson was the gold standard. He hit the left, he hit the right. He said, why would I want to alienate half my audience? And for some reason, that simple old saw doesn't seem to get into the minds of today's celebrities. So uh, another thought to consider is sort of the outrage burnout. I mean, are we there yet? Is it going to happen soon? Frankly, if you're a fan of Colbert, of Trevor Noah, Samantha Bee, at some point, we're still weeks away from the Trump presidency. What happens when he actually does something bad and, and we need to kind of rise up in anger about it or do something to stop it? We'll be exhausted. I mean, every day there's a new destroying headline from one of the above, and it's just exhausting. You have to kind of keep things in perspective, and frankly, the same goes to the news media. There's been such hyperbolic coverage over Trump and the security and the secrecy and this and that. 
at the end of the day, I think we're going to be burned out. It's a it's sort of a boy who cried wolf all over again, and it spreads from not just Hollywood, but the but the uh, media as well. So we'll see where things go from here. But I am just amazed by it. I understand it to a certain degree, but it really, to quote the 1990s, it's time to move on. I also wanted to talk about something else. I want to give a quick recommendation this week. There's a new movie. It came out earlier this year, but it's new to Netflix. And, of course, that means a lot of people will check it out. It's called Sing Street. It's from the same director, John Carney, who gave us Once and Begin Again, two other really good films. This one was an unabashed joy. You know, there's been so much 80s flashback in recent years. I mean, I guess it unofficially started with The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler, but it really hasn't shown much sign of stopping even though we're still waiting for that 90s reunion, kind of that, that mentality doesn't quite kick in yet. But if you love the 80s, even if you didn't like the 80s, this is a wonderful film. It's about an Irish teenager. He meets a girl. He wants to impress her. So, of course, it's the 1980s. What do you do? You start a band and you make a music video. This is fun filmmaking. It's sweet. It'll kind of strike a lot of nostalgic chords in you, even if you didn't live in the era, because it's just about a young guy falling in love and kind of collapsing upon himself at times and stumbling and bumbling his way to maybe that first kiss. Wonderful film. Highly recommended. It's one of my favorites of the year. I'm looking forward to making my top 10 list and putting it smack dab in there. But uh, if you haven't seen Sing Street, check it out. Available, of course, on home video, but Netflix has it. What a great recommendation for a weekend. Now let's go to my chat with Kyle Smith, film critic with the New York Post. Uh, he is one of the best in the business, and it was a real pleasure to speak to him. We've been kind of cyber friends for years. We've never officially met, but uh, when I thought about starting this particular podcast, I thought, well, one of the first guests I want to speak to is Kyle Smith. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know, you're a right-of-center critic working for a newspaper that's kind of known for being right-of-center in its uh, editorial pages and elsewhere. I'm often kind of confronted with this because I always think that if you're a Washington Post critic, you should actually be more neutral because your paper – in theory, is tempts to be as neutral as possible. But if you're, you know, a critic for the Mother Jones outlet or something like that, you can kind of let your sort of progressivism fly. What, what's your take on that? I mean, should critics sort of hew closer to their outlets? Should they just kind of be who they are? Do do critics should have? A, I mean, should they have the responsibility about sort of being more neutral if the outlet is more neutral? To me, it's not neutrality, but transparency that matters. Just just be honest about who you are. I can't stand weasel critics who, who will be sort of coy and pretend neutral and, and uh, say, oh, I'm not going to tell you who I'm going to vote for, but I love this Michael Moore movie. You know, it's, it's just so phony. They're all very far left. You just cannot get to the left of these film critics as a group. But they, they're, they're coy about it for some reason. Uh, I just throw it in people's faces. I'm a conservative. Deal with it. This is my point of view. Uh, it tells you valuable information. If, for instance, I diss uh, a conservative movie, then it's probably pretty bad. And if I praise a liberal movie, then there might be something interesting about it. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, you know, I've read your work for years, and I've also read how you kind of enjoy sharing some of the more uh, heated comments sent your way, and you seem to have a blast with that. Did it take a while to kind of get that thick skin, or is this just something that's always been a part of you? <laughs> that's another good question. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I have gotten used to it over the years. I was just, uh, for, for one reason or another, I just seemed to antagonize people, even as a little <laughs> kid. And, uh, you know, when, when people were bothered by me, I just sort of throw it back in their faces and kind of egg them on, which, uh, you know, I found kindred spirits later on. Andrew Breitbart used to be like that. He used the master of retweeting uh, criticisms and insults. Really, when you, when you retweet the, the dumb things that people say about you, it just makes them look bad, and it makes you look kind of, you know, like you're not taking it too seriously. 
Gotcha. It, now, kind of conversely, is this the kind of thing where you can actually get some valuable information from a nasty comment? I mean, can you kind of drill down and say, you know what, hey, that 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 lady does have a point. I, I you know, maybe maybe I was too harsh, or or is it? Do you kind of just going to have to go in your with your gut and go from there? Well, on taste, I I don't think anyone can correct your taste. Your taste, yeah. taste. Uh, also, your biases. People can point out your biases. I, I you know, I like to think I'm upfront about what my biases are. Uh, you know, 99% of what you get from the trolls is kind of ungrammatical, you know, you're a big jerk kind of thing. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's not very insightful or useful, but when people point out flaws in logic or, uh, inconsistencies in my thinking, then I am grateful for that. So I do read the comments and emails. I think you have to, in case someone catches you on, on a mistake, uh, you know, it could be a factual error or it could be a, sort of a conceptual error. Gotcha. You know, there's been some stories recently, like a couple of high-profile stories in the press about uh, the, you know, the era of the movie is over and there's no more important movies and TV rules. And it, it, to me, it struck me as sort of a, you know, those Saturday Night Dead stories that we'd get every two years where they said that the show is ending and the show is no longer funny or relevant. It, but maybe there is something to the movie criticism. What, what's your take on sort of where we are right now as an industry? Is, is it as doom and gloomy as we think? Uh, yes and no. I I, I do t- tend to think that the uh, the thing that people talk about at parties now is is what's on Netflix. You know, what's on HBO. Um, they uh, are doing great work on some of these uh, sort of premium streaming and premium cable services. Uh, those those shows tend to be run by the writers. Um, they don't have to chase a large audience, so they don't have to go for the lowest common denominator. They have some advantages over movies. Uh, I think uh, the idea that movies are necessarily at the top of the cultural mountain is 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 over. I think it has changed. I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. movies really rule the roost anymore. And um, partly that's just because movies have been run traditionally by businessmen and studio titans who are trying to sort of round up the largest possible audience. And we see that even today with these kind of superhero movies. Some of them are pretty good, but most of them are kind of fall into a predictable formula. And, you know, they're after selling a billion dollars worth of tickets, so they have to kind of do things uh, the, the same way the other movies are doing them. You know, a TV show that only has a million viewers that's on HBO might be really interesting because they don't have to have to appeal to everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the things, you know, when you think about television, part of the reason why it's so good now is the competition. You had, you know, you had broadcast shows, then you had cable like HBO, and they kind of forced some of the networks to at least up their game a bit, and now you've got streaming uh, could that happen in in TV versus movies, or or are sort of the economic factors just going to overwhelm anything else? It's um, a good question. Uh, you, you see a lot of back and forth. People like Steven Soderbergh are moving back and forth from TV and movies. You can you can tell a, a much longer and richer and more novelistic serialized uh, serialized story on TV over a you know a fifty episode arc or whatever. I think that's very appealing uh, to storytellers. But on the other hand, there's very little that can match the emotional impact of being in a movie theater with a thousand other people and nobody's doing anything except paying attention to what's on this huge screen. That's that sort of churchy experience of, of uh, you know, being in the moment with a lot of other people is, is uh, still a very important cultural signifier. I don't think movies are going away at any time soon. In fact, mm-hmm. I think last year the North American box office set a record. It'll probably be off uh, a couple of percentage points this year. Um 
movies are important. They they can't do all the things that TV can do, and TV can't do all the things that movies can do. But uh, certainly, it's a more equal uh, playing field than it used to be, where you know TV had to had to appeal to uh, you know Mr. and Mrs. Uh, nobody and, and try to get 30, 40, 50 million viewers, and as a consequence, it was a vast wasteland. Gotcha. Uh, I know you served your country in the Gulf War. Can you talk a little bit about that and how uh, is are there sort of influences of that time in your life that kind of echo through your professional work today, not just sort of how you view a war film, but even just discipline or other sort of things that really you can kind of pinpoint back to your experiences? Yeah, well, one thing about being uh, in the Army uh, is that uh, nothing you would do again will be quite that bad or that horrible again. So, you know, just even getting out of bed at 520 in the morning was was pretty horrible compared to anything I had to do as a film critic. So I'm very grateful for my relatively uh, cushy life, <laughs> going to movies all day long and, you know, showing up for work at 10 a.m. or whatever. Um, certainly being in the military gave me a more, uh, it exposed me to different kinds of people, to, uh, you know, people who live between the coasts, as it were, uh, in flyover country, as they say in New York and L.A., um, people who are... Uh, let's say salt of the earth types, working class types, mm-hmm. people who work with their hands. Uh, you, you don't necessarily meet enough of those people if you live in some place like New York and L.A. And you don't, uh, I think in consequence, a lot of film critics don't really know the real, <clears throat> aren't really familiar with the real America that's out there. And they think, you know, these sort of elites that they hobnob with are the, are the real country. Well, it's really just a, uh, it's a red country with blue parentheses around it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. These are, these are the people who drive and, and define the country. And, uh, you know, I think I, I'm more sensitive to depictions of how real Americans are, you know, in a David O. Russell movie, for instance, they're sort of seen very satirically and they're figures of fun and they're all kind of, you know, like in that movie, the fighter, that Christian Bale, uh, boxing movie, they're all these kind of idiots stuffing their faces and, you know, they have horrible clothes and things like that. That, that kind of, uh, bi-coastal view of, of, average Americans, uh, really, uh, irritates me. Gotcha. When it comes to being a film critic, is there something about sort of your day-to-day existence, your work schedule that would kind of surprise people? Or, I mean, we know you go to the movies, we know you kind of, uh, get to see things before everyone else and maybe some, do some interviews associated with them. But what is it about sort of your sort of nine to five ish life? That's maybe, uh, people wouldn't, wouldn't expect from you. I don't know. It's, it's a very kind of, uh, introverted life you can go through a whole day without really even talking to anyone <laughs> you can show up uh-huh. for a movie at 10 and write it up and show up for another movie at three and write it up and all you really do is say hello to the publicist on the way in and <laughs> maybe you might chit chat with some other critics in the screening room i don't really uh it's it's a very good existence if you don't really uh want to interact with your fellow man that much <laughs> but I, the reason I got into this line of work was because I just wanted to be buried in culture. I love movies, I love books, I love music, I love theater. I just wanted to be deluged with, with uh, great culture uh, all day long. And now I've, I've got that in spades. Now I've got it times 10. You know, it's more than I could take. When, when it comes to sort of the fact that you are right of center, most critics are left of center. Does that ever sort of come across um, in your conversations? Do, it, do you ever get snide comments or is, it, is there sort of a, a general sort of respect that you and your fellow critics share with each other? I don't know. I assume they all write me off as a crazy right-wing whack job. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Certainly, they're all very far left. You can, you can, uh-huh. The things they talk about are just ridiculous. Like They'll talk about like the male gaze and white privilege and all this stuff that I think is a total non-issue. 
but uh, it's, it's very central to their conversation. You know, uh, whether George W. Bush should be uh, impeached and uh, put on trial a few years ago, uh, whether Barack Obama is the greatest president ever. You know, they're not even their conceptualization of what's happening is not even mine. So there's no overlap there at all. Gotcha. You know, recently we saw Meryl Streep at the DNC. Then they have, of course, you had Scott Baio at the RNC. You know, pop culture and politics seem to be more entwined than I can remember in you know years past. It is does it matter the fact that these sort of the, that these celebrities are picking sides that that stars do PSAs to kind of promote a particular cause? I mean, is it just feel good efforts, or do, or does it really kind of move the needle in some situations? Oh, I think it helps them a lot, particularly with young and impressionable people who maybe don't really want to think about the issues, but they see uh, their favorite movie star, even someone like Bradley Cooper is pretty far left, as I understand it. And, you know, they just generally get these vague associations or Beyonce, another example, someone's gotten pretty political. You know, they don't have time to really work out, you know, the, how much intrusion they want from the state in their lives. They're not going to be reading Hayek or anything like that, uh, but they see... Beyonce had a Hillary fundraiser, and that makes them feel good about Hillary, maybe, and uh, that's about as deep as they go. So, yeah, it's a it's a huge, huge weapon for the left that they have, uh, mm. you know, almost unanimous, uh, enthusiastic cheerleading from uh, the leading cultural figures of the age. You know, when I was growing up, I, I I thought it was interesting that of all the stars who show up on Johnny Carson, and then Jay Leno, and then now Jimmy Fallon. You didn't see a Jack Nicholson pop up in that venue, and I always thought it was intriguing. I thought there was sort of a mystique around him, and he was sort of, in a way, maybe one of the last true movie stars. And now we see everyone everywhere. They're on, you know, uh, Reddit chats, and they're on different shows, and they're in comedians and cars getting coffee. Do you think sort of the the fact that movie stars don't have the cachet that they once did is that part of it that we that we kind of feel like we know so much about them that there's no sort of aura that they could even kind of conjure at this point? Yeah, I think that's largely true. They kind of put themselves out there uh, a little bit too much. But the flip side of that is people like Stanley Kubrick and maybe to a lesser extent Daniel Day-Lewis, people who you don't know, you know, feel like you knew all that well, they kind of seem more interesting because they're not out there all the mm -hmm. time. Yeah, I can I can certainly understand that. And then other stars, I guess we know too much. <laughs> it feels a little shopworn. You know, there, there's so much. I feel like in recent months there's been negative news about Hollywood. We've touched upon a little bit the the big budget bombs from the summertime and the the fact they don't make as many mid sized movies as they once did, and I don't that may continue. Are there sort of trends you're seeing that you're more optimistic about? Things we can kind of say, hey, you know, for all the bad news about Hollywood, there's actually good things happening, or there's things I'm excited about, or anything that kind of comes to mind like that. Yeah, I mean, there's something like 700-plus movies coming out a year in New York. There's all sorts of financing venues that are open for movies, and uh, the top talent, almost all the top talent, is willing to work for nothing if it's the right project, meaning you can make a movie with, with, on a very low budget that would involve A-list stars, directors, writers. Uh, in the 70s, you know, a Paramount or a, or a Fox would have made these movies, or Columbia, and now they're being made by you know, Fox Searchlight or by the Weinstein Company or even not even by those, those mini majors, even by, you know, little consortiums of individuals just kind of pooling their money together. Um, this means, I think, that even though the big studios don't really make Oscar-type movies anymore, those movies are still getting made. They're just getting made more cheaply. You know, a movie like Spotlight was not made to make any money. It's just made because uh, some interesting people... Uh, uh, had some ideas and, and put their own money together. And 
Mm-hmm. People who say, well, movies are dead. They're not making interesting movies anymore. That's, that's not true. There's, I'd say, probably 50 or more interesting movies coming out a year, which is probably uh, the same number that, or even more than were coming out in the 70s. They just kind of morphed from being uh, necessarily studio projects to all these other um, uh, independent outlets and semi-independent outlets like Fox Searchlight. Mm-hmm. I have one last question. Um, you know, we all, as a film critic, you're trying to assess the quality and you're trying to maybe hold things up to a certain regard, especially during Oscar season. Are there some films or even one film that you could think of that you know it's not a good film, you know it's the, the quality isn't quite there, but you can't help loving it? It's sort of a guilty pleasure in a sense. Uh, from this year, you mean? Or... Or any year, just something you kind of look back and say, you know, I, I, I can't defend this movie at all, but I, I will watch it anytime it's on TV. Oh, yeah, I Natural Born Killers, for instance. I mean, okay. I was just thinking about Oliver Stone because I saw his most recent movie, which is terrible. Uh, yeah, I love crazy Oliver Stone movies. JFK is kind of a bad movie, but it's kind of fun and it's great. For, uh-huh. yeah, it's it's demented, but uh, it, it is fun to get through it. Sure, I, I love a lot of uh, cheesy Brian De Palma movies. I was watching Dress to Kill the other day, which is a total ripoff of Psycho and has it, it cheats at both the beginning and, and the end by having dream sequences at the beginning and the end. Uh, and yet it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of great. It's hard to turn it off. Sometimes. Gotcha. Excellent. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to speak to me. Uh, now, let's just uh, before we go, let readers and listeners know where they can find your work and follow you on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter at r Kyle Smith. Uh, if you go to the New York Post uh, archive under my name, Kyle Smith, you can find all my stuff there. I'll have a blog, kylesmithonline.com. Excellent. Well, again, thanks so much. If you haven't read Kyle Smith's reviews, please do. It doesn't even matter whether you're liberal or conservative because they're often they are funny. And if the movie is very bad, they are very funny. So, again, thanks, Kyle, for your time. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. You know what this is? A commercial? Right, and you know what that means. <gasps> Time for a snack? Wrong. I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. Yes, you can. Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure.